What's up, y'all? Welcome into the Dual Threat. I am your host, Philip Jordan, from Last World College Football, 96.9 The Legend in Dothan, Alabama. Thank you for checking out the show and making it a part of your day. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. You can always email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Now, let's get into today's conversation. Everybody joining me today on the show is Brett Sobleski, Bleacher Report NFL analyst, uh, one long-time guest uh, of mine on any podcast I'm doing. A preview of the AFC North, a very interesting division. And uh, Brent, as always, it's always glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. You know, you're right in my wheelhouse when it came, comes to the AFC North, having covered Cleveland Browns for multiple years. I live here in Ohio myself. So it's my bread and butter to really go after those teams in the AFC North, you know, especially when – and I can say this with confidence for the first time ever in my life. The Cleveland Browns are really good. <laughs> and it's it's so weird. It's so odd. And because of having covered them throughout all the attrition we've seen, and now there's a bit of a shift coming in the division. And I think it should be really interesting to watch this fall. Yeah, I mean, we're going – have a question or two, and then we get to them in order. But just, you know, is – how much, you know, is, is this year a great opportunity for them to be division champions and really kind of de- take that next step? It's the year to do it. If you want to do it at any point, it's now. Because if you look at the entire the entire division, and this is it's just an overall point of view, there's a lot of transition going on. You have it in Pittsburgh with an aging quarterback and a rebuilt offensive line. An offensive line will become a theme as we discuss this today. Same thing is occurring with the front five in Baltimore. The Cincinnati Bengals are trying to figure out who they are behind what could be a porous offensive line. So you have the capabilities as an organization in Cleveland to really take hold of the AFC North and not only win the division, but really establish yourself as a legitimate Super Bowl contender. You know, and kind of starting going through these teams that, you know, would start with the Baltimore Ravens. We're going alphabetical order here. And eleven and five, you know, another good year for the Ravens. You know, they're consistently, you know, with Harbaugh, they've been re- playoff regulars. Anyways, they lost the division round to the Buffalo, and it always seems like when you talk about the Baltimore Ravens, you got to start with Lamar Jackson, his development. And they, you know, invested. They bringing in uh, some more receivers, drafted Rashad Bateman, bringing in Sammy Watson. Uh, where are you at now uh, with Lamar Jackson? I think sometimes he's unjustly criticized as a passer but you know when you see him his development out of passer where do you see him at going into this season well i could tell you with certainty having spoken to his personal quarterbacks coach um that it wasn't to the point that they expected a year ago that they had spent all offseason really trying to marry his lower body up to his throwing mechanics particularly working outside the numbers and down the field this is this was an, has been an area of concentration now two off seasons running and so when you're looking at him as a passer, yes, I agree that he was unfairly um, torn apart during the draft process. The whole entire wide receiver conversation was comical at best. He was a legitimate quarterback, and he's shown in the NFL that he can play at a very high level. But there are areas in which he can still improve, and those being specific to where he has struggled with the Baltimore Ravens. We need to see a quarterback that can consistently drive the ball downfield and threaten defenses. This is where you've seen they've also placed an emphasis 
on the skill positions to help him in this matter. When you bring in a, uh, a Sammy Watkins, you draft Rashad Bateman in the first round. You get the talent outside the numbers to create more opportunities and make the game easier for your quarterback so that he can show that improvement over time. And to me, he's still an amazing threat as a runner. But if he can take that next step as a passer in those specific areas I mentioned, he will once again regain the MVP level um, status and push himself into clearly being the best quarterback in the AFC North if he isn't already. Yeah, and you got to just think, too, if they can really get that passing game taken to the next level, that just makes a running game even more dangerous. Correct. And you, we create space. You can't bring guys into the box. And the numbers game that they will gain, the, the advantage that they will have will make them truly dynamic because you'll never know who's getting the ball. And that's, and that's what makes it so difficult for defenses. They, they read keys. They're looking at tendencies. They know in certain situations what's going to happen. That allows them to make plays. And if you, if you are become unconventional and you start opening up that playbook more and doing not just more from a passing, but also a running perspective, this makes you overall more explosive to create those chunk plays, which are necessary in the NFL to be a top offense. The issue I have, and, I, and again, I will restate this, is their offensive line. Because you expect to be better in the passing game, because you've been so good in the running game. I mean, if you're looking at it, Philip, you have four brand-new starters, essentially, on that offensive line. You have Ben Cleveland, who's projected at left guard. That's a rookie, third-round pick. Kevin Zeitler, who's coming down from one of his worst seasons, was brought in. Alejandro Villanueva, another aging veteran, a right tackle. Bradley Bozeman started last year, but at left guard, now he's moving to center. That's a lot of turnover for a team that relies so heavily on winning consistently at the point of attack. Yeah, I was about to bring that up, and, you know, that isn't, you know, like I said, the run game and what they do there and offense line and you know as you kind of mentioned that's probably gonna be a theme in our conversation here today is offensive, offensive line you know on the defensive side of the ball um you know this is you know i think some people you know you think of baltimore ravens it's kind of like you know there's this conception of Steelers that we're going to get to when i get you know we get to them that they're really always really good defense and i know they lost matthew judon you know to the to the patriots uh how big is that loss and uh, how about this defense you know where are they at, you know, can, you know, be able to be that kind of contender that they want to be? Well, Juden's uh, loss is significant in my eyes because the two areas I think that can hold back this Baltimore roster, one, the offensive line, as I just stated, depending on how that group gels and, and how they perform overall as a unit. The other is consistent pressure up front. Yes, you have Calais Campbell, uh, albeit an aging veteran has been a while. Same thing can be applied to Derek Wolf. Brandon Williams has never been one guy that's going to consistently push the pocket, and you expect to get pass rush and sacks from from the interior based on his skill set. So where are you going to get that consistent pressure, right? You went out and re-signed Tyus Bowser, who a significant contract, thinking they're finally going to get the potential out of him, but he's never been that guy. He's never been someone that's posted big sack numbers. Where is the opposite going to be from from Bowser. Is it Owe, who he's drafted in the first round? Mr. I had zero sacks my last year at Penn State, but have all the physical potential in the world. Maybe someone else steps up, and that's the question you have to ask. Maybe it's a Jalen Ferguson finally shows that what he did in the collegiate level is, is its all-time leading sack master. 
now translates to the NFL after a couple of seasons. And those are major question marks because their back end is as good as anyone in the league. When you have Marlon Humphrey and you have Marcus Peters and you have Chuck Clark and so on and so forth, you have the guys that fly to the football at the second and third level. You just have to make sure you can consistently pressure the quarterback. Otherwise, teams will still be able to pick you apart. Yeah, it's just, to me, in football in general, especially college and professional now, it's it's not, you know, you don't need to get obsessed with how many yards you're giving up. But it's just keep keeping people out of the out of the end zone, obviously. And then pressure on quarterback. That seems like those are some of the more keys you need to worry about now defensively. And if you cannot get pressure on the quarterback, I mean – you're pretty much done with the way offenses are. Absolutely. And it's not just getting sex. I mentioned sex. It is about consistent pressure, being able to exploit weaknesses that you find within uh, opposing offensive fronts, knowing where the matchups favor you and creating opportunities to, to get pressure, to potentially have sex. But if, even if you don't get a sack, allow that pressure to help make turnovers. That is another big part of this situ- uh, of the, the approach of today's defensive football. And so if you're lacking the guys that can win those matchups, then it makes it more difficult on everyone else at all three levels. And that's really what's crucial for Baltimore. They need someone to step up. Other than a Calais Campbell, who's what, going this year, 35 years old? I don't know off the top of my head, so I apologize. But you have guys – that they have athletic ability, that have potential. We just haven't seen it yet. So at this juncture, when you're looking at what they can do, you have to hope that they're going to f- develop properly. Otherwise, that front's not going to be as good as we've grown accustomed to. By the yeah, way, Clay's Campbell, 34. I was off. He'll turn 35 in September. Oh, there you go. When, we, when he plays football this year, he'll be 35. So I, I'll count yeah. it as a, as, a, as a correct statement. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, another thing, you know, we look at the Bengals. I, I have a feeling me and you may be in agreement on this. I don't know. I'll be interested in your take. I didn't like them drafting Jamar Chase in the first round. I thought they should have <laughs> went Penesul. They should have went offensive line because Joe Burrow got sacked 32 times in 10 games and got hurt. And then they gave up 42 sacks on the year. I just feel like you have good enough receivers there in Higgins and Boyd. You don't need another receiver. But I'm going to, you know, just how, how did you feel their approach I know, and I know they drafted, you know, two offensive linemen in the draft, but you could have got a much better one in the first round set of receiver. Uh, where, where were you on that and their decision-making with that and, you know, making sure that Joe Burrow stays upright this upcoming year? Well, let me put it this way. I was the most hated man in Cincinnati for a solid two weeks from the draft week through, and let me tell you why. I had the pleasure this year for Bleach Report grading every single selection to the 2021 NFL Draft. It's an absolute joy to do. You know how much um, the affinity I have towards the NFL Draft. It's something I've been passionate about for a very, very long time. Well, I'm not someone that's going to pull my punches. And when I, when I believe that when you grade, you have to have a full scale, A to F. And if something isn't proper or you don't feel a team's building in the right manner, you fail them. And that's exactly what I did with the Cincinnati Bengals with the fifth overall pick. It's not a slight against Jamar Chase. I think he's going to be an exceptional wide receiver, clearly the best in this year's class. And, yes, he could be exciting with Joe Burrow. There's no denying any of those three things I just stated. But are you doing what's right for the number one overall pick you invested in just a year ago? And I don't believe that's the case. Panay Sewell was right there for the taking. The best offensive lineman, as much upside as we've seen at that p- position in quite some time, and you passed on him. And yet, in the second round, you trade down <laughs> when there's legitimate tackle prospects still there. It's like Jackson Carmen, you're going to move him to guard. 
all of that doesn't make sense to me. And I, I love where Cincinnati is from a skill set perspective. You have so much talent. I think Burrow's special. I wrote just, just recently here about Joe Mixon being one of the most undervalued fantasy backs in football. You have three wide receivers, all of whom could be 1,000-yard catchers this year when you have Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. There is talent there. But can you keep Joe Burrow upright? And I'm old school in a little bit. I believe you invest in those trenches before and build up that foundation before you start putting some new window shears over uh, over the windows. And so, to me, that's why it was a mistake. It's not that they don't have talent. It's not that they're not a team that can get better. And even the offensive line will be better. But is it good enough? And that's the real question. Yeah, it kind of seems like they're – they have that issue on the offense and defense side of the ball because defensively they didn't really get to the quarterback last year. Uh, only 17 sacks all year. You lose Carl Lawson. I mean, to bring in Trey Hendrickson, uh, who had 13 half sacks last year. But uh, they, they need to work on that side of the two as well. They need to protect the quarterback, stop, let him get sacked, and get sacks of their own. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how Hendrickson performs, right? Because last year you're playing opposite Cam Jordan. And I like Sam Hubbard in Cincinnati, but he's not exactly Cam Jordan, right? So <laughs> yeah. is he going? Is Hendrickson still going to be that significant pass rush threat? The other thing with Hendrickson that's very interesting, he, he the majority of his pass rush, one, all comes from the right side, and it's based on a speed rush. So how is he going to continue to develop? And that's a question mark along their defensive front, and, and not just with him, but a defensive tackle as well. They went out and signed Larry Ogunjobi who we've seen start for the Cleveland Browns the last few years. That's where he was drafted. That's where he immediately stepped in as the one technique. That's what he played in college. Now they're moving him to three technique. And a lot of people would say, well, that's not that big of a deal. He's still defensive tackle. There's actually varying skill sets that are required to play one technique as opposed to three technique. Larry Ogunjobi has not shown the capabilities of being a full-time three technique, even though he works with Geno Atkins in the offseason. So I'm questioning how Hendrickson and Ogunjobi are going to perform in new roles, in new situations, and can they live up to the contracts they signed as free agents? And that's really a legitimate question because you have so much turnover on their defense, right? You're not only – you're not only moving certain parts on the defensive line, DJ Reader's coming back from a season-ending injury on top of it. You don't know exactly how you're going to settle at linebacker. You're getting Trey Waynes back from a major injury as well. You bring in Chidobe Obuzier and Mike Hilton to play the other outside corner in nickel. That's a lot of moving pieces, and that's going to be difficult when you're in a situation like Cincinnati where they may have to run up the score a lot to keep up with teams based on the way that their roster is currently constructed. Now, I do want to transition. Now we officially will transition to Cleveland Browns. I know we started with them in this conversation, you know, because I I, I feel like this, I'm agreeing with you that this is their year. They should win the division. Offensive line stays intact. You know, offensive line is, like we said, is the key, the key phrase to this conversation. And, and when you got two running backs like Nick Chubb and you know Kareem, a like really really good tandem there. Baker Mayfield really played much better last year. I mean, this offense, this offense side of the ball, they just seem like they have everything together. But when you look at the Cleveland Browns, they lost in the division around to Kansas City. What does what does this team need to do better this upcoming season to to make take that step? Is it defensively? Is it offensively to perhaps maybe dethrone, be able to get past teams like the Chiefs or the Bills? 
well, it's funny because some before the, we got through the draft and free agency, one of the things that I always stated was, what do the Cleveland Browns need this offseason? Defense. Defense. And, oh, yeah, a little more defense. And guess <laughs> what? Andrew Barry tended to agree with me if you look at what the Browns general manager did this offseason. What did they do? They go out and sign Malik Jackson. They signed Jadavion Clowney. They sign Anthony Walker to play middle linebacker. You go out and get John Johnson III, who's arguably the best safety on the market. You go and get Troy Hill, who's arguably the best nickel on the market. You draft Jer- Jeremiah Wusu koromoa in the second round. You draft um, Greg Newsom in the first round. They knew they needed help dramatically on that side of the ball after playing basically a, a deficiency all year long and having to play basic quarters coverage just to make sure they weren't blown out on that side of the ball on a weekly basis. So they, as good as they were offensively, you needed to have that counterpoint. You need to have uh, a playmakers on the other side of the ball that can potentially create more opportunities for said offense. And so when you look at where they are now, and this is very similar to what I just said to the Cincinnati Bengals, you have so much talent now, but what are you going to be able to do with it and how fast does it come together? And when you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs week one, that could be disheartening, to be quite honest with you. I could see a very similar situation where Cleveland is not only not only loses but blown out week one and then starts rattling off victories because they have a more favorable schedule beyond that point. But when you're facing Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and so on and so forth, and you're trying to piece together a defense, albeit a talented group of individuals, but they're still individuals. They have yet to really become – a, a bond and become a unit. So to me, that's the biggest difference in Cleveland. We know what the offense can do. We saw Baker Mayfield be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the second half of last season. I have no question marks about him. You have the number one offensive line, the best tandem of running backs in the NFL. You get Odell Beckham back healthy. Now what's that defense going to do to help? Oh, Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams being back, you know, they were, you know, injured last year. Then they're coming back. Uh, how, I mean, what, what do they add to this team? I'd even mention them. That's the amazing part, right? Those are technically two brand-new additions because they didn't play last year. And so when you look at Greedy Williams, he's going to step in and compete for the outside cornerback's job opposite Denzel Ward. So it's him and Newsom essentially working for that position. You have a first-round pick and a former second-round pick. Lots of talent there. I don't know exactly where he stands because it's hard to trust anyone with the injury that Greedy had. Now, by that, I mean – Anyone that goes back to the pre-draft process, there were rumors and that obviously came to fruition where he had nerve damage in his shoulder. Now he's been cleared by doctors. He's regained strength. What type of player is he going to be moving forward? And that's a major question mark. And that's why you also reinvest in Greg Newsom to make sure that position is addressed and you don't have significant concerns. Delpit's interesting because he's not necessarily going to be a starter. He's coming off an Achilles tear, which could be a, a significant injury that may take a year or two to be fully healthy or at least back to the player he was when we saw him at LSU. But why he's so intriguing is how he could be utilized in Joe Woods' defensive scheme. Browns want to play more, far more big nickel than they were capable of doing last year because of a lack of talent in the secondary. So you have Ronnie Harrison Jr., strong safety. You have John Johnson playing the back end. Now start sprinkling and Delpit and using him all over the field in multiple different manners. And that's really what's interesting because you don't just have Delpit that can do that now. Now you have a Wusu Koromoa. You have a guy like Tony Fields that can run in the open field. You have guys that are made more for today's NFL than what we've 
grown accustomed to in many situations. You know, they're, they're not the traditional downhill thumpers. They're not uh, at traditional safeties and playing cover two or just in cover three. What you want to see is how you can move them all over the field and the utilization moving forward by Woods could very well be what defines whether they're successful on that side of the ball or not. Yeah, it's I'm 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 just I'm looking forward to seeing the Cleveland Browns play, and it just you know as you said you know we made the playoffs last year you know and there's so many people out there have never don't even know that the Cleveland Browns were a good franchise at one time. <laughs> you know if you look at their it's their been history, that long, <laughs> yeah. So it is very exciting to have them have them good, and I think Cleveland fans fans are some of the best sports fans out there, anyways. So uh, I want to close up with the team, uh, the AARP team of the of the division, uh, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. 12 and 4 last year. They started 11 and 0. I think most people never felt like that was a dominant 11 and 0 team. Uh, lost to the Browns in the wild card round. Just, uh, I mean, were, were you surprised that Big Ben came back for another year? No. And I will tell you why. And I'm not sure if I told you this story before, but I'll repeat it if I did. A few years back, I had the pleasure of running into one of his family members. And offhandedly, I asked, is he actually thinking about retiring? Because this was the same offense uh, offseason a few years ago. Do you remember when uh, Big Ben announced publicly that he's not retiring, he's coming back, and everyone's like, wait, were you even considering it? Well, it was that offseason. It it was so out of the blue that it caught everyone off guard. (laughs) But at that time, after I asked, his his, um, relation basically looked at me and said, and laughed. He goes, you see what, how much money's left on that contract? He's going to see every bit of it. So here we are a few years later, and he's going to see every bit of money, basically, that was uh, remaining on that contract. Now, I know he technically took a pay, a pay cut this year, but overall, this is someone that – I'm not saying it's money-driven. It's just he is someone that's willing to put in the time and effort to see it to the end. And so – Looking at it, even as a 39-year-old, even now how he was breaking down at the end of last season, even though he was one of the lowest-graded quarterbacks in the NFL, the organization believes in him. And one thing we know with the Steelers is it is loyalty is a very big aspect of how they operate, you know, from top to bottom. So the fact he wanted to come back, they he was always going to be their guy. The mistake I think that they've made is that they haven't made a significant investment in the last two off-seasons to try to prepare for the future without him. And I'm not counting Mason Rudolph. We saw how he failed when given an opportunity. Maybe it's Dwayne Haskins. Maybe they, you know, pick someone off the, you know, garbage heap and he turns into something, into gold for them. I don't know yet, but we'll see as that progresses. My concern with them is this, knowing that you have Ben Roethlisberger coming back, knowing his limitations as seen last season. Again, where do they fail to invest in greatly? The offensive line. Yes, you went and got Najee Harris. That's awesome. Number one running back, uh, exceptional talent. You want to focus on him more, and that's great. But what happens when they're not opening holes? What if what happens when they're not pr- protecting properly? You know, that's that's my question, Mark. Because you're you're moving Chuksakora four from right to left tackle. You're bringing Zach Banner back at right tackle after playing one game and blowing out his knee. You just signed Trey Turner because you had to cut David DeCastro because DeCastro still has lingering ankle injuries, and Turner has never been as good as DeCastro. Gavin Dotson hasn't played a full season, albeit he flashed and looked really good when he did. Then at center, you're either going with J.C. Hassenauer, who started four games last year for an injured Marquise Pouncey, who retired, or a third-round rookie in Kendrick Green. 
that again, turnover, turnover, turnover. That's essentially five new starters. And how are they are going to come together as a unit could really dictate everything for the Pittsburgh Steelers this fall. Yeah, it just, I guess, I mean, it, it goes without saying. I mean, you got to think with this team at least has it's constructed, and this is this has got to be the last run at it, you would think, with, you know, with Big Ben and everything, that their window has closed. Is it fair to say that? I won't say it's closed because the defense is still good enough to keep them in the thick of things. And, I mean, I didn't mention them, but you, you still have Cameron Hayward and T.J. Watt and Stephon Tewitt. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, legitimate playmakers on that side of the ball. And they will be, again, top five, top ten at worst in the NFL based on what they do defensively. So that will keep them in a lot of ball games. It really just comes down to how that offense gels with all these pieces and how they perform under new offensive coordinator Matt Canada. And that's a big deal. That's something that's not being mentioned as much outside of Pittsburgh but it's a significant portion of what they can are capable of doing with the offensive side of the ball because Randy Feetner really became stale in his play-calling duties, and they need to do things, more play action, more motion, less shotgun, less empty sets, and start protecting Ben as much as they can through smoke and mirrors if the offensive line isn't going to do it. So when you, we look at the division, I have a feeling I know who you, you you're going you're going to lean here, and I'm I'm leaning that way if we're thinking the same way too. But how do you see this division shaking out? Well, I look at the Cleveland Browns winning it, but I think it's still going to be tight with the Baltimore Ravens. So basically, the way I'm looking at it from taking a step back is you essentially have four elite teams in the AFC right now. Now, based on everything we've seen this off season, where we think they're trending, you have the Chiefs. Obviously, the Bills are right there. You have the Tennessee Titans, based on what they've done with Derrick Henry, you still have Ryan Tannehill, you add Julio Jones, and then, and then the Cleveland Browns are in the thick of those, of those four teams. To me, a half step down is the Baltimore Ravens, based on their offensive and defensive fronts, like we discussed, but that still makes them a potential playoff team. The Steelers, to me, are more around 500. Now, granted, we won't have 500 records anymore, so I've got to get used to the 17-game schedule, but that's neither here nor there. The Bengals are going to improve, too. They're going to make things more difficult. They're still not there in the rebuilding phase, but they're going to be better, and especially Burrow can stay healthy for a full season, which I'm not sure he can based on what they did, as we discussed. But I, I think overall this is going to, be, again, be one of the tougher divisions in football with Cleveland being the crown jewel this year. It's going to be interesting, this division. I'm I'm, intri- I'm intrigued with the Steelers. I'm intrigued with the Bengals, Browns, Ravens, all of them. So it's going to be – it's going to be interesting and uh brent you uh you dropped a lot of knowledge here on this division today and uh i do appreciate it and uh if anybody wanted to follow you online uh, where can they find you and uh, check out all the great work you're doing <laughs> same old same old just visit bleach report you'll see my stuff that's usually out on the daily basis or follow me on twitter at brent sobleski s-o-b-l-e-s-k-i thank you sir for having me as always it's, it's always a blast when we can actually call and talk to each other, even though I sometimes miss the, the messages. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all good. We got we got the episode recorded, so that's that's the most important part. And like I said, I always appreciate you coming on the show, talking all things NFL and uh, all the knowledge you have. And I uh, look forward to talking to you sometime down the road. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Dual Threat. Once again, thank you for checking out the show and making it a part of your day. Remember, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review 
leave a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. Until next time, bye-bye.